I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 13. John, chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. Uh, we are returning to some verses that we passed over during the Christmas season. Uh, and uh, so this morning we're going to look at verses 6 through 13. Please read along as we listen to God's word. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. <clears throat> he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Well, these verses talk about two different, two very different responses to Jesus. <clears throat> they show us that there are ultimately only two ways to respond to Jesus. Of course, there may be periods in someone's life where they are considering the claims of the Christian faith, trying to work out for themselves just exactly who Jesus is, but at the end of the day, there are only two ways to respond to Christ, with reception or rejection. We can receive Christ or we can deny him. And so as we look at this passage today, I, I want to ask you to do this. I want you to ask yourself the question as we reflect upon these verses. How am I responding to the Lord Jesus Christ? It's a choice we all must make. Will I receive him or reject him? In, in verse 9, John says that the true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. Now, true light given to everyone, John is not saying that everyone is going to welcome the light and walk in it. In fact, in verse 10, he makes it clear that some reject the light. And later on in his gospel, he will say that some hate the light because they love the darkness. So John isn't saying everyone will receive the light, but he is talking about the light in objective terms. To say... In other words, that the Son of God has come into the world and he has made God known. It happened. It's, it's a part of history. It's there on the table. Jesus came into the darkness. It's as though Jesus came into a dark house and flipped a switch. He turned the light on, and the question 
before us is how will I respond to that light? Will I run to it? Will I walk into it? Will I walk in the light as he is in the light? Or will I turn my back on the light and run to the other end of the house and shut the door and get under the covers? There's these two choices, to walk in the light or to remain in darkness. And you see, friends, the the coming of Jesus into the world, the coming of Christ, confronts all of us with a choice. True light has come into the world of darkness, and that light is shining. God has not remained silent. He has made himself known. The sun has declared him. So again, how do you respond to that light? There's these two options. No, there's no third way. There's no position of neutrality. There's no nightlight option of, well, I'd like to remain in the darkness, but have a little bit of light so I can kind of make my way around in life and have a sense of purpose and some sense of morality or anything like that. No, there's no third way. There's reception or rejection. In verses 6 through 8, John the Apostle, John the author of this gospel, introduces John the Baptist. Now, up to this point in the prologue, John's focus has been on the eternal word of God who existed in the beginning, who is there with God, who was God. But verse 6 now plunges us into time and history by introducing us to John, a man sent from God who came as a witness. Now, unfortunately, these verses are, are sometimes treated as a distraction. I even sense that a little bit reading commentaries in preparation, that these verses are just kind of skipped over. But, but I'm convinced they're anything but a distraction if you really understand what John is after here. In fact, the role John plays as a witness is crucial to appreciate if we want to understand the point of John's gospel, which is to confirm for us the identity of the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that we might believe in him and in believing have life in his name. And so, raises this crucial question John's gospel does. Who who is Jesus? Who is he really? Is he just a myth of folklore? Nobody serious, no one who takes history seriously can possibly believe that. Is he just uh, another average Galilean who somehow's story got blown out of proportion? Or is he, in fact, who he says he is? Is Jesus a blasphemer or is he, in fact, the son of God? It's one of the questions that John is trying to help us answer. It's one of the reasons we have a series of I am statements throughout John's gospel. Andreas uh, Kosenberger, someone who's done a good bit of work on the gospel of John, calls 
this idea, the cosmic trial motif in John's gospel. Now, I don't really care if you use that terminology, but understanding the idea, I think, helps us make a good bit of sense of John's gospel. John's gospel treats Jesus' ministry as a kind of trial, a, 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 an extended courtroom experience in which we, <clears throat> we find a series of witnesses testify that Jesus really is the Son of God. And one of the key witnesses, the first witness, is John the Baptist, who bore witness about the light. Now, you may wonder, why, why would the Son of God need any other witness to testify to his true identity? And that's a, that's a fair question. After all, you might think that Jesus would be able to self-identify himself on the basis of his own divine authority. So why does he need witnesses? And I think the simple answer is simply because the word became flesh. We can't, we can't forget that in addition to being God, Jesus also became a man. And as a man, he had to keep the law. He had to live under the law in order to be the perfect savior that you and I need. We saw this in the book of Deuteronomy when we studied it together, that one of the basic principles of justice, according to the law of Moses, was that a man's testimony was invalid unless it was established on the basis of two or three witnesses. This is why Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 31, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. By saying this, Jesus was simply keeping the law. And John the Baptist was another witness sent from God to bear witness about the true identity of Jesus. He was not the light, but he was sent from God to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist was, as a prophet, he was, you could think of him as a pointer, but Jesus is the point. As a prophet, John spoke the word of God, but Jesus is the word of God in flesh. And that takes us back to these two possible responses to Jesus. Reception or rejection. And so here's, here's the big idea for today as we reflect on this passage. And I want to I unpack it in, in two parts. Right, you'll find these in the sermon notes in your bulletin. First of all, Rejection of Jesus is more important than, and more, more serious than you may think. And then on the other side, receiving Jesus is more wonderful than you can imagine. And it is so because if you receive Jesus, if you believe in his name, a miracle has occurred in your life and you have received a new status. But let's begin with the response of rejection. It's found in verses 10 and 11, and I think the seriousness of rejecting Jesus is underscored by a number of phrases that we find in these verses. First of all, notice John says, he was in the world. Now you have to stop and appreciate 
the weight and significance of the he that John is talking about. Who is the he? Remember what John has said so far. The word who was in the beginning, the word who was with God, the word who was God. And connect that with what he'll go on to say in verse 14 about the word, who is the glorious son who comes from the father, full of grace and truth. Now with the weight of all of that, hear this again. He was in the world. The one who came before the world came into the world. That's a pretty big deal, don't you think? That's a pretty big reality that we need to come to terms with. That's, that's not something we should just shrug our shoulders over and <coughs> move on from to get on with our lives. John is saying that God became man and he was here. He stepped into the world, as it were. <coughs> he walked upon the earth. He dwelled among us. He lived among us. But then John ramps it up even more in verse 10. Not only was the word before the world, but he reminds us once again that the world was made through him. See that? Everything that was made was made through him, as he says earlier on. And so think about the one that John is speaking about here. If ever there was someone worthy of our attention and our consideration and our recognition and, yes, our adoration, surely it's him. The one who was with God, the one who was God, the one through whom all things were made. Think about it. When Christ was in the world, he, he walked upon the earth that he made. Think about that. He, he could have walked up to any person and looked them square in the face and said, I made this. What would you, what you, what you make? You make your tunic? You make your sandals? No. I made the ground that you're standing on. He, he could have said to everyone, you draw breath because of me. You have life and being because of me. You owe your existence to me. You are held together by the word of my power. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Surely no one deserved a greater reception than Jesus. But now take a look at the last phrase in verse 10. The world did not know him. Again, if there was ever anyone who was worthy of being treated in a special way, it was Jesus. If ever there was someone who should have been welcomed with, with great fanfare, it was him. One of the things that I'm uh, <clears throat> learning more and more as a dad of four kids is that kids like to be recognized. And just the other day, um, 
while I was studying, uh, Liam barged through the door saying, Dad, look, look, look. And he's pointing at his chest and he had a new shirt on that had a T-Rex on it. And he wanted me to see the T-Rex. And he would have gone on without end saying, look, 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 until I said, yes, Liam, you have a T-Rex on your shirt. That's really cool. We all want, the truth is, not just little boys, we all want to be recognized for who we are and what we have. But Jesus, you see, Jesus had so much more than some trivial thing like a t-shirt to show off. In, in him, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He, he made the invisible God visible. He made God known. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. God came into the world, and John is saying, and yet the world did not know him. And we need to appreciate the fact that John is not just recording historical events for us here. He's, he's pressing this home to us to get us to ask the question, how about you? How about me? Jesus is worthy of highest honors, exuberant jubilation, earnest attention, humble obedience and service, but how, how do you respond to him? Do you receive him with joy? Do you outright reject him? Or do you respond with a kind of cold indifference? A shrugging of the shoulders, which we need to understand is really just another form of rejection. When John says the world did not know him, don't misunderstand. He's not talking about a mere intellectual knowledge of Jesus. In the Bible, knowing is a relational word. John, John is saying, in other words, the world did not want Jesus. The world would not have Jesus. The world rejected him. The world refused the light because it was too attached to the darkness. So let me, let, me be, let me be direct, because I think this passage is, is very, very direct. If, if you are not interested in Jesus, if you think Jesus isn't a big deal, not worthy of your consideration, if, if you think you can live life however you please, ignoring Jesus, or perhaps just giving a nod to Jesus a couple times a year around Christmas or Easter or whatever, if you don't want to worship Jesus, if you don't want to give your life to Jesus, if you don't want to be his disciple and follow him, and we can come up with all kinds of excuses for, for that, but we need to understand if that's where you are, you are, according to the Bible, rejecting the very one who made you. You are rejecting the one to whom you owe your very existence. The one to whom the universe owes its existence. You see, it is no small thing to not receive 
God who came into this world and made himself known in Jesus Christ. Now, there's one more thing I, I want to say here. Because there's another phrase in verse 11 that I didn't mention yet. John, John says he came to his own. Now, of course, John there is talking about God's covenant people. He's talking about the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the, the people that God especially called and entered into covenant with, <coughs> the, the people that Jesus himself descends from. But don't, don't think that John is in some way being anti-Semitic here. It's got nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with the, the light that had already been given, the light of revelation through God's covenants of promise and prophetic word that was given, light that, that, that pointed straight to Jesus as the true light. But when Jesus showed up in person, John says, his own people did not receive him. I mean, talk, about, talk about being misunderstood. One of the things I've realized being a pastor for a few years now is that a lot of people feel deeply misunderstood for, for one reason or another. And if you feel misunderstood, you know the pain that goes along with that feeling of being misunderstood. Now, this is a, an aside, but, but I'll say it here. If, if, if that's you, Jesus gets it. And, and, and Jesus, more than anyone else ever, knows what it means to be misunderstood. But please, please don't make the mistake of minimizing the significance of Jesus. Don't make the mistake of treating Jesus in a trivial way. He is, he is God. Very God of very God who came into the world from the Father in our flesh. We owe our existence to him. Rejecting him is way more serious than you may think. But then the flip side, the flip side is also true. But receiving him is far more wonderful than you could ever possibly imagine. And John begins to talk about that in verse 12. It's wonderful for two reasons we see in our text here. First, it's reason for wonder because if you have received Jesus, if you have believed in his name, a miracle has taken place in your life. A miracle has occurred in your life. Now, if, if you believe, you need to appreciate this. And sometimes we, we overlook this. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, it is not a stretch to say that you are a walking miracle. And sometimes we... We only think of miracles in terms of, you know, parted waters and floating axe heads and plagues and people being healed and so forth. But the truth is, if you trust in Christ, you are a miracle. Now, why do I say that? Because John says that all who receive Jesus, all who believe in him, that is, all who trust, believe he is who he says he is, 
and rest in him as Savior and Lord, all who receive Jesus are children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, and we'll get into this more later on in John's gospel, for you to be a child of God, you got to be born again. But how does that happen? Right? How does that happen? And who makes it happen? Look at what John says. It's not by blood. No one is a child of God by birthright. It isn't based on bloodline. You, you don't become a child of God because of the family you belong to. As much as God loves and is pleased to work in families, through families, you aren't born anew automatically because of who your family is. Those who are born into God's family are not born of blood, but of spirit. John also says it's not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's, think of it this way, our receiving Jesus, our believing in him, our <clears throat> being given the right to be called children of God is not initiated by us. Isn't that what John is clearly saying? That it is based entirely on divine initiative. It's of God. For sure, we must believe. I've been talking about a choice that we all must make. But our decision to believe in Jesus is not the beginning of the story of God's grace. It is the outcome of a prior, powerful working of God. That is what John is saying here. The Bible teaches that spiritually speaking, right, before God causes us to be born again, spiritually speaking, we are stone cold dead. Right? Dead in our sins and trespasses. That's the way the Bible describes our spiritual condition. We're not, we're not half dead. We're not sick and just in a need of a little pick-me-up, a little spiritual help. We are dead. And dead people can't bring themselves back to life, right? And so that means if anyone is to receive Jesus and be given the right to be called a child of God, God must bring new life. God must regenerate them. He must cause them to be born again and grant them new life, making them alive together with Christ before we are able and willing to receive him. But think about it. Okay, I know that raises all kinds of questions. But, but, but I want you to think about this one point. Okay, We're thinking about the miracle that occurs in every believing life. Because if you have received Jesus and believed in his name, this miracle has happened in your life, hasn't it? That's what John is, is making clear here. Think about it. You who were once dead are now alive. A child of wrath 
now a child of God. It is nothing short of a miracle. And when we understand its implications, then we understand there is absolutely no room whatsoever for boasting in ourselves. But there's even more reason to wonder here, because if you believe in Jesus, uh, <clears throat> believe in his name, there's even more reason to wonder because of the new status that you receive in him. Now, there are many great gifts that we receive through the gospel, but one of the greatest is summarized in verse 12, where John explains, but to all who did receive him, it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who believed in his name, John says he gave the right to become children of God. Friends, this is at the very heart of the good news of the gospel. The Son of God came so that all who receive him and believe in his name might receive the right to become the children of God. And John is not alone in emphasizing this angle on Jesus' first coming. In, uh, in Paul's letter uh, to the Galatians, he says that when the fullness of time had come, remember God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. For what purpose? Why? He says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption. Sonship. The right to be called the children of God. This is why Jesus came. Right? The Son of God became a man so that we might become children of God. The Son of God came down to lift many up as sons of glory. But we often, we often fail to appreciate the, the wonder of this grace. We have, I think, trouble understanding the true magnitude and significance of this status that we're giving. So it's worth pausing just for a moment to consider the many benefits that flow from this gift. You could go back this afternoon to our affirmation of faith and just reflect on each and every statement that is made about what we receive as adopted children. But let me just draw out a few things. First, as children of God, you are made to belong. Taken into the number. That's the language that we find in the Westminster Confession. And what I want us to appreciate is that this is not only a legal reality, it's also a life-shaping, life-transforming reality. What does it mean to be a child of God in Jesus Christ? It means that his father is your father. It means that Jesus is your elder brother. It means that you are given the gift of the spirit who is called the spirit of adoption, who helps us understand throughout our Christian lives what it, what it means to live out our lives under the love of a heavenly father. 
And it also has implications for our relationship to one another. Because as you look around the room this morning, you, you are not looking at strangers. You're not looking at distantly related cousins. You're looking at fellow heirs, at, at, at brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who have been added to the number, who have been made to belong. They are family because you belong to the same God. You know, I think in our, in our day of <clears throat> broken and dysfunctional families, that's, that's wonderful news, isn't it? I, I don't know what your experience was with your, with your earthly father. Maybe, maybe you've been blessed with a good relationship. Maybe, maybe you, it's been terrible. Maybe you didn't have a relationship. But if you believe in Christ, one of the promises of the gospel is that you have a perfect father who has spared nothing to love you. And he's welcomed you in. Second thing we can say <clears throat> about this gift. As God's children, we not only receive an, a new status. John says that we receive the right, the right to become children of God. He's talking here about the rights of sonship. Now don't, don't stumble over the emphasis on sonship. This is true equally for men and women, boys and girls of faith. But we need to maintain the language of sonship because it's all wrapped up in Jesus, God's son, the heir of all things. And what John is helping us understand and will help us to understand later on is that everything that belongs to the son of God, who again is the heir of all things, he freely shares with us. Try to wrap your mind around that. If you are a child of God, in Paul's terms, you are an heir of all things. You are an heir of God. <clears throat> See, God in the gospel has given you this right. And that is a right that has been forged in the family law courts of heaven itself. You know, I, I, had the, I had the privilege of, of going to the courthouse to witness <clears throat> Byron's adoption not too long ago. And one of my favorite moments, there were a lot that day, but one of my favorite moments <clears throat> in the courthouse was when the judge said that Byron would be given all of the rights of being a son of the McKeever family. He was talking about the rights of sonship. And my mind immediately went to thinking about the doctrine of adoption and what it means for all of us. As Paul puts it, he says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In <clears throat> Romans 8, Paul says, we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. That's, that's how it works. If you're a child of God, then you're an heir of God, and a fellow heir with Christ. But finally, <clears throat> excuse me, 
as God's children, another blessing we receive is we receive God's fatherly love and affection. And this is, this is one of the principal things that God the Father wants his children to know as they live out the Christian life. That they live out their lives under the fatherly care and protection of God. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And the Gospel of John is written so that we might see the love that the Father has shown to us in his Son. In fact, the very climax of John's prologue in verse 18 is a very important verse that we actually talked about twice already at Christmas time. But I want, I want to draw your attention to it one last time for now from this angle, from this perspective of thinking about the love of the Father. Because you remember in, in verse 18... John tells us, reminds us, no one has ever seen God, but he, that is Jesus, has made him known. Jesus has made the Father known. And you'll remember if you were with us, that word that's translated known is the word we get our word exegesis from. That word we, we use to talk about drawing the meaning out of a passage or a a text. And, and John is saying that Jesus exegetes the Father to us. He explains the Father. He discloses the Father. It is not a stretch to say that Jesus is the enfleshed exegesis of the love of the Father. If you want to know how much God loves his people, John is saying, Look square in the face of Jesus. Look to him and you see the love of God the Father enfleshed, as it were, made known, fully disclosed for, for us all. See, the true light, the true light has come into the world. That brings us back to the question, doesn't it? So how... Are you responding to the light? Have you received him and believed in his name? Please understand that <clears throat> rejecting, rejecting Jesus is perhaps far more serious than you may think. But receiving Jesus is way more wonderful than you could ever imagine. Please pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we, we thank you for sending light into this world. And we praise you for the way that you have made yourself known in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that <clears throat> each and every one of us here this morning would really reckon with who he is the Son of God, 
who has come into the world in our flesh to save his people and to bring them to God and to raise them up in glory as sons of God. And we thank you that he shares with all of his people this gift of belonging. We thank you that in Christ Jesus we are counted sons and daughters of the God Most High, and that we can live out our lives under his fatherly love and care and protection. I pray this morning that each one of us would know the grace of being born anew, born anew in Christ Jesus, to believe in his name and to receive the right of being called children of God. We pray now that you would assure us, Heavenly Father, of the love that you have for us in Christ Jesus as we come to his table now. And we pray all of this in his name.